Hello, I'm Matt Watts and this is 72Cast. On this episode, I sat down with EFL guru Gab Sutton. Gab, thank you so much for coming on the pod. First of all, what are your earliest memories of football? Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Matt. Really looking forward to this. Um, in terms of earliest memories, um, I would say, do you know what? When I um, went down to to watch the Blues with my father in the um, sort of 90s and probably very early noughties, I wasn't actually that into football. I maybe didn't understand it at that particular age. And um, and it seems very odd considering, you know, what I do now, I guess. And then there was this weird situation where um, this was in 2003. Um, I didn't have a season ticket at this particular point. Blues had just, uh, this was the summer after Blues had stayed up in, the, in their first season, the Premiership and um, finished 13th. And um, there was this testimonial game for Ian Bennett, uh, who's a long-serving goalkeeper we had. And uh, we played Jamaica for some reason. Uh, I think Brian Hughes scored a couple of goals. Um, and and I sort of, my dad sort of had like a spare ticket for it. And he sort of said, do you fancy coming along to it? And then I said, yes. And then I vividly remember just sort of walking up the steps and then just sort of seeing the ground. And I saw it in a whole new light that I maybe hadn't recognised previously. So I really enjoyed that game. And um, and then there was another sort of funny sort of um, what what do you call it a sort of butterfly effect sort of um, you know turning point kind of thing where there was a funny coincidence where there was a season ticket going where one of my father's friends uh, had a season ticket but was working in America so didn't need it so then yeah by some sort of coincidence I was able to get a season ticket um, with with my dad for for that season and I just really enjoyed it uh, uh please finish sort of 10th that year and um and then from that point on I was just really hooked and going to the football with my dad became a um became a sort of regular thing and um thank goodness it did because that kind of led me to where I am now I must admit when I asked you that question I did not expect to hear the words Brian Hughes scoring against Jamaica that is incredibly niche, but I absolutely love it. Just kind of building on that, was there a particular match, a particular player or a particular season that really made you kind of fall head over heels in love with Birmingham City? Yeah, I guess um, probably would be that 0304 season because we had um, Mikhail Forsell that year, who we had on loan from Chelsea, who's um, probably the best striker still that I've ever seen down um, down St Andrews, um, just because he had that um, uh, he had that bit of skill about him. He sort of swerved away from defenders, and he was an amazing finisher. So he he was wonderful to watch that year. Um, and then we had Damien Johnson, who's sort of an versatile Irish midfielder. Um, whose uh, incredible work ethic and uh, I suppose that sort of endeared me to him. We had Cunningham and Upson in central defence. Cunningham was very much the leader, if you like, uh, and Upson was very much the sort of the quicker, the you know, the the quick sort of ball playing one, if you like. And yeah, it, um, Mike Taylor we had in goal was fantastic. So that team probably got me uh, got me into football. And I remember sort of um, my. Um, my dad sort of looking at the table, he almost, I don't know whether he actually did this, but he was sort of, uh, he had the Argus out and it was, uh, Blues were fourth in the table at one point in this state, 
in this season. And because it was my first season, I couldn't understand the significance of Birmingham City being fourth in the Premiership because it's like it was my first year that I properly understood it. But now with the context of what's happened in the last 21 years, I can understand why my dad was like fourth in the table. So um yeah that so that was um yeah that 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 was brilliant. And uh, yeah that's something that'll stick with me. Come on then let's fast forward to the present day because I was on TalkSport a few months ago and it was the night that Birmingham beat West Brom to move into sixth. And of course, it turned out to be John Eustace's last game in charge. And I said to Rory and Addy on TalkSport that I had a really good feeling about Birmingham this year. I thought with the takeover in the summer, John Eustace in charge, some really exciting summer transfer business as well. I really thought Birmingham were dark horses for the playoffs. Then, of course, John Eustace goes, Wayne Rooney comes in, a pretty disastrous few months in charge. Of course, Tony Mowbray is at the helm now. I mean, I would like to think that Birmingham won't be sucked into a relegation battle with Mowbray in charge. But what do you make of it all? Because even by Birmingham City standards, it's been quite a crazy few months. You can say that again, yeah. Um, I was I was absolutely gutted when we did what we did to John Eustace because you know this was the first summer in um, over ten years where we had a little bit of optimism at the cl- optimism at the club. It looked like we had a plan, a vision. Uh, Tom Wagner spoke so well when he came into the club in uh, in June, and pretty much the new ownership regime have done pretty much all the right things, other than sort of shafting a manager who had done wonderful things for the football club. John Eustace took on such a difficult season um, last year when we went into it with optimism levels on the floor. Um, We had a skeletal squad, um, you know, no sort of plan or vision, and he was sort of trying to keep things going. And I think a 17th place finish that year, considering that he had so little on the bench, it was either youngsters, it was either veterans, or it was players who probably weren't quite up to championship level. And then he was backed with with a proper squad, uh, with 12 new additions in the summer. And he absolutely delivered on, you know, the improvement that was required. And whether we actually would have finished in the playoffs under John Eustace, the improvement was so strong. And you could see that we were pinning teams in, uh, retaining the ball at times. We weren't necessarily a you know, possession side at such, but we could look after the ball at you know, certain moments and sustain pressure, whilst also having a responsible shape. And it was so frustrating to kind of lose that template that had got us up there. And... Um, and and the fact that um, you know our CEO Gary Cook's best mates with Wayne Rooney's agent that sort of added to the it felt like um, a real injustice and I think that just created a level of sort of mistrust around around the club and um, I suppose it's no surprise that when Wayne Rooney probably inevitably didn't work out yeah they appointed Tony Mowbray and. Um, I thought it was interesting that none of the the owner, it was literally just Tony Mabry on his own in the press conference. Normally, yeah, normally you get the ownership regime sort of you know sitting next to him, but it was just him. And I think that's because Wagner and, and Co. Uh, didn't want to sort of face the questions of, you know, or answer up to the mistake of how how they treated John Eustace. So that still sticks in the craw a little bit. Um, I, I am so frustrated at how we treated uh, John Eustace, but at least we've got you know um, someone in Tony Mabry who can provide us a little bit of a little bit of stability, hopefully for the next eighteen months. Hi everyone, I hope you are enjoying this episode of Seventy Two Cast. I just wanted to say a massive thank you to those of you 
who voted for us in the recent Look Sports Media Awards. 72 Cast was up for General Football Podcast of the Year. We may not have won the award, but to be nominated alongside The Price of Football, The Hard Truth and Not the Top 20 is a massive achievement for a podcast that is only six months old. Thank you so much for your continued support of the pod. It really does mean the world to me. Let's get back to the episode. I wanted to move on to the EFL because when I think of the EFL and people who love the EFL, you are right at the top of that list. Now, as you said, you fell in love with Birmingham City when they were in the Premier League. So where did that love affair with the Football League start? So for me... Obviously, we were uh, we were relegated from the Premier League in 2011. So from that point here, we were we were playing in the Championship. But in terms of the EFL in its broader sense, um, I think we um, in the 13-14 season, which was the year we stayed up on the last day by uh, drawing at Bolton the poor Caddis Gold. I'm sure you remember. Um, so uh, the penultimate weekend, we lost 3-1 at home to Leeds, and uh, that was on the Saturday. And Burton Albion were playing Chesterfield on the Sunday. And I actually fancied um, sort of going to um, Burton Albion because Chesterfield could have won promotion. Well, they did win promotion that day, you know, by winning. So um, I, I sort of felt like just a bit intrigued by checking out uh, lower league football and, you know, going to a different ground. So it just... Um, yeah, it just kind of appealed to me. And um, and then, yeah, you do see, um, I think, Jay O'Shea scored twice. And, you know, you sort of, I, I think I've, it, it captured my heart a little bit by being so close to um, to the pitch. And um, it was just a, di- a different sort of atmosphere that really sort of resonated with me. And, um, and, and yeah, it got me hooked a little bit. And from that point on, I, I think I'd... Um, I'd actually set up a website called uh, the Football Lab uh, shortly before then. So I suppose going to Burton Albion was part of learning about, you know, other leagues and, you know, finding out about different different teams and leagues and players and all that kind of thing. Um, and then, but I suppose it moved quite quickly because very quickly from then on, I set up the Football Lab literally that summer and um, and started doing interviews with various different fans. These were written at the time. Um, sort of where you email questions over and stuff like that, and yeah, and and just kind of moved from there. But that Burton Albion game where they lost two 0 to Chesterfield, that was my first time where you know it really hooked me. The EFL going to matches as a neutral. Now you have been making EFL content for a very long time, and as an EFL fan, I almost feel as though I've kind of watched you grow up in some respects because oh, yeah. as I said as I said you started making it at such a young age and that is something that some people might not recommend they might almost say maybe you don't want to start at such a young age but do you think in a way starting at that young age has actually helped you yeah it's a great question um starting at a young age I I would say you know life is so short you know you might as well get cracking once you find something that you're passionate about because otherwise yeah we don't have loads of time we can always find you know excuses or reasons not to do something and and actually I think it is better to sort of take action straight away so I think for anyone 
sort of listening to this that wants to go out and do something or for, you know thinks of something that they really want to do but it's not the right time sometimes it genuinely isn't the right time but a lot of the time you know sometimes a bit of uh, fear gets in the way so from my point of view yeah I'm, I'm glad that I, I did what I did I've learned an awful lot since then I think the quality of my writing has definitely improved over over that time so you, you definitely get the chance to um uh, sort of refine what you do because I think when you start out you maybe don't have um, as big a following so you've almost got more space to um, to make some of those mistakes that then become part of the process to allow you to become to come better and yeah hopefully have the career that, that I've had. Obviously this is an EFL podcast it's a podcast for EFL lovers so I do feel as though with this next question you might actually be preaching to the choir but in your opinion, what is it that makes the EFL so special? What is it that makes the EFL so special? Um, I think that it's community-led clubs that really care about its fans because I think that's being lost a little bit in the Premier League where at the very top level, clubs don't eat... I don't want to generalise too much, but it can often feel like clubs don't actually care about their season ticket holders because um, at certain clubs it feels like they think that they almost get in the way of them getting the day trippers who buy all the merchandise and, you know, pay more money um, per match for an individual ticket and go to the club shop and and, and all that sort of thing. And um, I feel like at lower, le- uh, lower levels, partly I, I sort of find it really endearing the fact that because it's a smaller fan base, people know each other more. And I think there's something sort of quite... Um, quite endearing to me to me about that um that um there's that sense of community that you probably don't get in the premier league uh, and also that they do invest so well in in their local community and can be a hub for for, for people out of that town and and they serve people in that town and um yeah i absolutely love that about the efl and then i suppose from a footballing point of view it's the unpredictability now isn't it um you know the fact that if you're way too good for a league one year you'll be in a higher league the next and that'll give you a different test and then um if a league's really struggling in the league above it'll go down and and that just makes it so that sort of creates the sort of the reset effect now Obviously, we're struggling with that a little bit in the championship because of the parachute payments and the, I suppose, the imbalance that that can create. Or even, although even in the championship, we've seen some some wonderful stories like Ipswich and Coventry and what they've been able to achieve. And yeah, just generally, I think the unpredictability has has made it um, has made it really exciting. And the fact that you know often the playoffs and the relegation zone is quite close so it's like if you pull away from the relegation zone to a certain stage and get a few wins you can all of a sudden uh, be looking up the table so that sort of you can be upwardly mobile in um in those leagues in a way that you can't really be in um in the premier league so yeah i love it you've mentioned parachute payments so i feel like i need to ask you about them because they are quite a controversial issue when it comes to the fl Obviously, this season, there is a chance that the three newly promoted sides to the Premier League might all come straight back down. There is also a chance that the three teams who came down from the Premier League, Leicester, Southampton and Leeds, could go straight back up. What would you like to see done to kind of correct that balance? Yeah, it's. I think it is a difficult one because if you don't have parachute payments, you then left with the other question of how do um, clubs promoted to the Premier League compete at that level 
without taking massive financial risks that they can't afford to take. So I, I do understand the thought process behind them. However, what was designed to be something that covers clubs when they're relegated so that they can still pay their wages and and sort of uh, stabilise has actually become a sort of um, an immediate head start where clubs can sort of buy the best players in the championship without... Uh, without too much difficulty, and uh, and that's that's created that has created a competitive imbalance, and it feels like for a premier for a for a club relegated from the Premier League to finish outside the top six, they've got to get absolutely everything wrong from recruitment to management to you know efforts on the pitch and or you know everything, and then for a club that's um there's not got those parachute payments or have a wealthy benefactor to finish inside the top six. They've got to get everything right for, for the same things that I've, I've listed. So that does make it a little bit harder. Um, and I certainly would like to see it um, leveled out a bit, but I admit that it's not a, it's not a simple solution because obviously clubs that um, carry a big wage bill going into the Premier League, you know, they, they want to be able to compete at that level. And um, yeah, it's a tricky one. Of course, the team who are currently leading the fight against those relegated from the Premier League are Ipswich Town. Kieran McKenna's Ipswich Town, who had a fantastic season in League One last year, a phenomenal record in 2023. How do you think they are going to get on this year? Do you think they can win automatic promotion or do you think they will have to settle for a place in the playoffs? I'm going to stick with Ipswich um, because I've been so impressed and I think they've got the best manager in the league in Kieran McKenna. The work that he's done to improve individuals has been absolutely stunning. And yeah, I, I probably would edge towards Ipswich. Uh, obviously, if they finish in the playoffs, that will be a wonderful season as well. But it does feel a little bit like the top four in the championship is narrowing out a little bit. Uh, where Leicester have um, stumbled a little bit. I'm still very, very confident that they win the league, but maybe not quite the certainty that they they have been previously. Um, and then I think you're looking at the likes of Southampton and Leeds that have recently closed the gap a bit as well, particularly Southampton. Um, so I think it's going to go right to the wire, which should make it really exciting. I must admit, I feel as though as a neutral, it's almost quite important that Ipswich carry on their runner form. And they do take it right to the wire because I think there are lots of fans of the EFL who don't support Ipswich, but just love seeing them up there competing with the likes of Leicester, Southampton, Leeds. And yeah, I think it would be a really good feel good story for the whole league if they could get over the line come May. Gab, just before I let you go, I wanted to talk to you about your aspirations for the future, because of course you are a presenter, you're a pundit, you're a writer. You've done a bit of commentating as well. Do you enjoy doing a little bit of everything? Or is there something in particular that, let's say in 10 years time, you would really like to be doing on a kind of full-time basis? I tell you what, if I could get one um, uh, EFL highlights gig as, as a pundit, I, you know, I'd be a very happy man. It, you know, that that would be absolutely amazing. So I suppose that's the uh, that's probably the pinnacle for me. I, you know, I, I loved Quest and I'd absolutely love to work with uh, with someone like Colin Murray one day uh, or David Putton as well. So uh, that that's kind of the, the long term aspiration. Um, obviously, I think it is a little bit harder if you don't have the um, the playing sort of reputation. But I um, 
going to stick at it. I'm going to enjoy the process. I'm going to keep doing my podcast um, EFL debate and I'm going to enjoy every moment of it. And if at the end of that, I can get an EFL highlight team, that'll be amazing. If I don't, then I've had a wonderful journey and I'm I'm really grateful for for what I've been able to do so and the opportunities that have come my way. So yeah, just just going to try and enjoy the process really. Bit like parachute payments. I feel like you've said another buzzword there, EFL highlight show. I'm not going to lead you down that particular rabbit hole. Gab, just before I let you go, one final question. If you could give a bit of advice to a young, aspiring EFL journalist, a bit like you were, let's say, 10 years ago, what would that bit of advice be? Um, I've actually got a couple of bits. Um, So the first thing I would say would be, Instead of sometimes we often think for young people that the you know then once they've come out of GCSEs and A levels it's universities the next thing but I think you can have uh, well it it seems to be either university or you go straight into a job and what I would maybe suggest is somewhere in between where um, instead of paying the thirty odd grams that you've got to pay or whatever it is nowadays to pay to go to university which is far too much um and you know can leave a debt on you your shoulders for uh, a long long time uh but sometimes if you go straight into work it doesn't necessarily lead you onto the path that you might want so what i would suggest is actually um go um investing a three-year period a bit like a university period if you like towards um working towards what you want to do setting up a website writing for different people, trying to build your your reputation as a writer, as a pundit, podcaster, uh, whatever you want to get into. And then from that reputation, you can um, then start to get offers. Because from my point of view, uh, from the point of view, from the point of setting up a website in 2014, it was only sort of three years later that I started to monetize it. Uh, not everyone can afford to do that because cost of living and everything. Some people need to go out and earn straight away. But for me, it was um, really beneficial to just have that three-year period to work towards what I wanted to do uh, without necessarily having the university. Because I feel like you can get a lot of the skills that you need um, can be self-taught and you can find other tools to um, to learn what you need to learn w- without necessarily going to university. So. Uh, yeah, that's what I would recommend, spending a, you know, dedicating a certain period of time towards working towards what you want to do um, and, um, and yeah, building up a platform for yourself. Awesome, Gab. Thank you so much for your time. Keep up the good work. Your love of the EFL really does shine through. It's fantastic to see someone like you in the position you're in now. So, yeah, thank you so much and keep it up. My pleasure, Matt. Thanks for having me.